He's the king of our hearts. We sang it. He's our cornerstone. He's the only one. You guys go ahead and have a seat. It is. It's Christ alone. It's Christ alone that can do anything in my life. He's the only reason that I would lay my life down and let my life be worship. Otherwise, I would just go about building my own kingdom and doing my own thing. But he alone is worthy. Amen? He alone is worthy to be praised. So why so often do I just get caught up in my thoughts and in my mind and in my doubts and in my fears and in my insecurities? Why do I feel sometimes like, I, like I'm a prisoner in my own mind, that, that my, my thought life doesn't align with the truths that we just sang about, the truths that we sing about every week when we show up to this place? Why, why am I so concerned with the opinion of man? Why do I fear the opinion of man? Why does it keep me up at night when I hear a, a critical word about myself? Why am I riddled with doubts and insecurities about who I am in Christ? Why do I constantly, even though he's placed me in this position in this church, why do I constantly feel unequipped and unready to do the work of the gospel? And the Lord gave me a word the, the past few weeks to, in pre preparation for today. And it's about the renewing of our mind. It comes out of Romans chapter 12, right? Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That you may be able to discern what is good and acceptable and perfect. And the Lord said, I want to renew people's mind this Sunday. I want to renew people's mind in an hour this Sunday. I don't want them to spend the rest of their lives working and plugging and studying away and praying and reading Christian books in order to renew their mind so that by the time they're 85, now they look like Jesus and now there's no time left to make a difference for the kingdom. He said it's going, to go, it's going to buck against religion. It's going to buck against the flesh. The people are not going to want to hear it. You're telling me that everything that's going on in my life, all the struggles that I'm facing, all the choices that I'm having to make, that you don't know how difficult they are. You're telling me that God can come in in an instant and remove those doubts and fears and insecurities. And so he gave me this word, and I wrote it out, and just the, the, the Holy Spirit was flowing, and, and, I, and I had it all written out well ahead of time. And then I began, like, moving points around and sections around and um, editing this. I thought, it's just not, something's not right. It's not flowing. It's not going to hit. It's not going to click with the people. And so for, for three or four days, I just kept editing this sermon and moving the points around. And, 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 and then I, I, I heard a word, and it was a critical word to myself. Uh, it was like, I don't know, Tuesday or Wednesday, or I don't, I don't remember what day it was. And, and this critical word just started eating me up. 
like I couldn't get it out of my mind. I was, I was replaying the conversation with this person in my head, and, and, I, was, and I was imagining the, the, the rebuttal that I should have given this person, right? And I, and I, and I just couldn't get it out of my head. And, and I'm laying in bed, and I'm crying, Lord, you're having me preach on the renewal of our mind, and I can't get out of my head. I am tossing and turning. Lisa is angry, right? She feels like she's on a seesaw in our bed. And I'm like, Lord, I can't get this out of my mind. And so I keep moving points around. And, but I, I know what he gave me was a word from the Lord. I know what he gave me was the word for this morning. So I kept moving and I kept moving it. And then I got a phone call from a sweet sister in our church. And she was just at her emotional and mental end. She's got huge decisions that she has to make. There, there, are, there are tough things that, that, are, that are reaching their boiling point. And she just needed some advice. And she, just, she felt like she was stuck. She felt like she was between a rock and a hard place. And, and the things that she's going through are unimaginable. And, and as, as I was sitting there talking to her, I began to think, how would she receive this? She's going through the worst of it right now. And I'm going to tell her that God in an instant can cleanse her mind, can take all her fears and doubts and worries and remove them in an instant. And so Lisa kept asking me, are, are you ready for Sunday? She, she keep, she, she'd see me working, working. I mean, even, even Friday goes by, Saturday goes by. She sees me working. We go to dinner last night at, at Chick-fil-A. It was delicious. Um, amen. This is going to be my loudest amens in the morning. We, we, we go to Chick-fil-A, and we get home, and I'm still working on this sermon. And she was like, are you ready? And I was like, I don't know. And I lay down in my bed last night, and I'm tossing and turning. Lisa's already snoring by this point. Just kidding. I'm tossing and turning in my bed, still struggling with this message. I know I'm supposed to preach the message, but I, I am not ready to preach the message. I am not fit to preach the message. And God told me, it's because you don't believe it. You theologically believe it. You academically believe the points that are on this piece of paper. But you don't believe it in your heart. And so you're scared that the, that the people won't believe it, that the people won't receive it, that you don't understand what I'm going through. You don't know the depths of the pain that I'm experiencing. And so I laid there. I've never had this happen before. But this supernatural rush just comes flooding into my mind and into my heart and into my soul. And the Lord just began to fill up my mind with biblical truths of who he is and what he's done for me and what his word says about me. And it was just such a flushing and a cleansing that the only thing that could come into my mind were thoughts of him and his love and his grace and his mercy. And he said, I've renewed your mind. In an instant, I've renewed your mind. And that's what I long to do for my people tomorrow. Especially for those who are in the depths of the struggles and trials of this life. That's when we have to press in all the more and say, God, 
renew my mind. I can't seem to take these thoughts captive and make them obedient to Christ. So you've got to come in and take these thoughts captive and obedient to Christ. And so that's what we're going to talk about this morning. You see, when we think of Philippians chapter 4, right? Like, I don't know. This is a tough one. I, I don't know how I feel about this verse. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, with prayer and supplication, bring them to your Father. And He will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And for the first time, the two words stuck out at me when I read that passage. Anything and everything. Don't be anxious about anything, not one thing, not one singular thing. But God, you don't understand what I'm walking through. No, 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 not that one thing. Not that one thing. Don't be anxious. In fact, I'm going to flip it on its head. In everything, with prayer and supplication, make your request be made known to the Father. Now it's don't leave anything out. Now it's bring everything, bring the hard stuff to me in prayer and supplication. And God will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So as we prepare to open up God's word this morning, um, I want you to think about the things, the some things that you are being anxious about that are keeping you prisoner in your own mind, that are actually keeping you from stepping into the reality, we will see this morning, of who you are in Christ, of who you've been made to be, of who the gospel says that you are. We're going to have a time of response at the end, and um, it's a time to lay down our minds at the foot of the cross. That the sacrifice that Jesus Christ paid on the cross was not only for the salvation of our souls, it's not only so that the Spirit could come live and dwell inside of us. Uh, part of our inheritance is a sound mind. Amen? And so we're going to lay our minds on the altar of the Lord this morning and ask Him to have His way in our minds. Think about the tactic of the enemy. And I promise I'm going to get to my sermon here in a second. Think about the tactic of the enemy. What if I can get a people... I'll give them two hours. I'll give them two hours on a Sunday. They can go in. They can get wild and crazy with Jesus. They can feel all the feels with Jesus. And then the rest of the week, I will plague their consciousness. I will take up all of their thought life. I will fix their thinking on me. I will fix their thinking on lies about themselves and doubts and insecurities. And I know the ones that really get to them. So I'm going to remind them of those things. So God's calling us to, to renew our minds this morning. He's calling us to step into the reality of who the gospel says uh, that we are. I, I want to lay a foundation. I want to give an illustration that's going to help guide us through our time in God's word. Uh, this morning. One of my favorite shows of all time is Band of Brothers. Who's seen Band of Brothers? All the men in the room, raise their hand. It's awesome. Band of Brothers is a 10-part miniseries. It's like, it's basically like 10 movies that follow the men of Easy Company. 
Easy Company was in the 506th Parachute Infantry Regiment. They were paratroopers. They were, they were members of the 101st Airborne. Um, what these young men would do is they would volunteer. They'd get a little extra pay as, as soldiers to, to volunteer as paratroopers. As paratroopers, they would volunteer to jump out of a perfectly good airplane, be dropped over enemy lines, be shot at all the way down, and if they made it to the ground, what would await them would be the enemy with tanks and machine guns and grenades. They would have to cut off their parachutes and gather themselves, find their unit, and fight their way to safety. These are some of the bravest and most courageous men um, that, that ever fought in World War II, if you think about it. Um, they, they, they were crucial. They, 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 they were the ones that, that, that dropped um, on D-Day to storm the beaches of Normandy. These guys won some critical battles in the fight for Europe against the Nazis. I mean, the, these, guys were, these guys were amazing. And, and here's the deal. They fought because they were sent by a country that they loved and believed in. They fought for the freedom that that country afforded them. That freedom was worth them going and fighting. And, and, and this wasn't where everybody got drafted and didn't want to go. These were men lying about their age to get to go and fight in this war. Okay? But they would go because the 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 the... the the cause that was sending them, uh, they loved, and it stood for freedom. Um, but before these men could be successful in battle, they had to be trained. They had, they had to be reprogrammed. They had to be reconditioned. You see, when, when these men showed up to boot camp at Camp Tacoa in 1942, they were not paratroopers. They were taxi drivers and farmers and policemen, and factory workers, and firemen, and students, right? They had to be reprogrammed and retrained to be paratroopers. Um, and out of all the soldiers training at Camp Tacoa in 1942, the paratroopers had the highest calling and the highest expectation. So that also meant that they had to go through the toughest training. Right? So while the other companies in the regiment were getting weekend passes and getting to go to the movies and get, getting to go out with the local gals to, to the bars and stuff, Easy Company would continually get their weekend passes revoked. They, they, they think they had done all the work for the week and put in all the blood, sweat, and tears and that they were going to get to go out and have a good time. And then their company commander would come in and say, weekend pass revoked. And they'd spend their weekend doing more PT and more drills and more training and more target practice. See, Easy Company had one of the hardest jobs um, on the battlefield. Therefore, their, their training had to rise to that standard. They had to be brought up to that standard. In, in fact, the, the, the movies famously show... Uh, um, the, the soldiers running up and down a hill called Kurahi. They, just when they thought they were done for the day, they were, they, were, they were completely exhausted. They didn't have anything left in the tank. Their commander would say, you got 50 minutes to run Kurahi. Three miles up, three miles down. 
And Kurahi is actually a, a Cherokee word. And the meaning of that, that, that word is to stand alone. It's, it's a mountain that stands alone in the Blue Ridge Mountains, right? Just this peak in there in Georgia, just, just a, a beautiful mountain. But what was happening was that this extra training, this, this, this extra PT, these extra drills, it was making this group of men an elite squadron of soldiers who stood alone, who stood above the other companies in the squadron, who had a different skill set and a different commitment level to the cause that they were fighting for. In fact, one of the, uh, in, in one of the most harrowing battles that they had to endure, it was in, um, it was in Bastogne, France. Uh, they were surrounded by the enemy. They didn't know when supply rations were going to come back in. They didn't know when more ammunition was going to come back in. And so they're getting ready to hold the ground in Bastogne, France. And, and one of the, the commanders of Easy Company, one of his superiors comes up, and he tells the commander, he said, we're about to send you in. And you're going to be surrounded by the enemy. We don't know when we can bring reinforcements. There's going to be no air support. You might run out of ammunition. It's winter. We don't have winter clothes for you. And the commander of Easy Company replied, and he simply said, Sir, we're paratroopers. We're supposed to be surrounded by the enemy. That, that's, the, that's the level of commitment these, these guys had. So, so here's my question for you this morning. What made Easy Company successful on the battlefield? Was it all the extra training? Was it all the extra drills? Was it all the extra target practice? Sure, sure, that was some of it, right? All of those things improved their skills and made them an elite company of trained soldiers at boot camp. But what made them successful in wartime? What made them successful on the battlefield? And here's what I believe the key is. They stopped believing that they were taxi drivers and farmers and factory workers and policemen and firemen and students. And they began believing they were paratroopers. Their conversion... Sorry, I'm already tying the illustration to the point in my mind and it's, <laughs> and it's touching my heart. Uh, the Lord's working in me this morning. Their conversion from whatever they were in their former life to now being paratroopers came with a complete identity change. They were no longer taxi drivers. They were no longer farmers. They were paratroopers. And if they didn't believe that, then the battlefield was going to eat them alive. The old was gone and the new had come. You see, at boot camp, they could call themselves paratroopers. They had done all the training. They had learned how to clip into the jump line. They had learned how to stuff their parachute in their pack. They had done all these jump drills where they learned the form and the technique. But here's another question. When did they become paratroopers? Was it when they got their insignia badge that said they were paratroopers? Or was it flying over France with anti-aircraft artillery banging and clanging and knocking their planes down. And they decided to jump. Knowing that they would be shot at all the way down. Knowing that only the only thing that awaited them was the enemy with tanks and machine guns and grenades. 
What made them paratroopers was not their training. What made them paratroopers is that they jumped. And you guys are a smart group, most of you. And you guys are drawing the parallels here. You and I are like the elite paratroopers. We have a high calling. We've been called to serve not a nation of men, but the kingdom of God. We've been enlisted by the creator God of the universe as he draws the world to himself. We've been sent uh, not to attack those living in the world and those who are driving the prevailing culture, but we've been sent to rescue them. Our mission is not to kill and destroy, but to offer love, hope, salvation, and freedom, and life in God's redemptive and restorative plan. We've been called into a battle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. This calling, this mission, is no small thing. But some might be tempted to think it would take a lifetime of training to be ready for a mission like that. But that is not so. You see, many of us don't believe. Hey, Danny, how are you, man? Good to see you. You see, many of us don't believe that we are elite, equipped, special force soldiers for the kingdom of God. Some believe that we are only failures about ready to flunk out of the training program that's called Christianity. Some of us think we are not worthy to stand among the elite in the group. Some of us thinks, think we are only works in progress who seem to never be quite ready to make the jump. If I can just read one more book, if I can just go to one more Bible study, if I can just have a few more devotionals, if I can go to church every Sunday, well, maybe, maybe twice a month, right? Maybe, tw- maybe that'll work, right? But we're, we're never quite ready. Some of us have made the leap into battle only to be frozen in fear by the attacks of the enemy that are whirling around us. And some of us have backed off the front lines, instead enjoying the comforts and trappings of being alive in this world. The farmers and taxi drivers and factory workers and students that became elite paratroopers, yes, they had to train mentally and physically. They had to develop new skill sets and hone those skill sets. They had to be reprogrammed and reconditioned to become paratroopers. But listen to me this morning, believer. Because of our union with God through Christ, We have been given everything we need for life and godliness. We have been filled with the Spirit of God, the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. We have been given the mind of Christ that we might spiritually discern what is good and acceptable and perfect as we do the will of God. If we are to unite as a band of brothers... If we are to unite as a band of brothers who are all walking in step with one another and who are all walking in step with the Holy Spirit, listen to this. We have to stop trying to become what the gospel says that we already are. We're, li- we're living in a lie. We're living in a lie that says we have to do more and be better and study harder and look more like this person who's on the team. God has equipped us with unique gifts and unique personalities. 
And he's called us to use those and steward those for his kingdom. He has not called you into a program where you have to train for the rest of your life to learn how to do your job and then die before you have time to do your job. I believe that God is calling. I don't like talking with a handheld. Sorry, it's bothering me. Sorry, I can't do my water. I believe that God is calling us to renew our minds this morning as a church. What I mean by that is God, God is calling us first and foremost to renew our minds concerning Him by elevating our thoughts concerning Him. You see, the last day's church cannot settle for a diminished view of God. The way that we view God, everything else flows from that reality. But not only do uh, most of us have a diminished view of God, but we're walking in a diminished view of ourselves. God is calling us to renew our minds concerning ourselves by elevating our thoughts to align with what His Word says about us. And this renewed mind will allow us to accomplish the mission to which we are called. So we're all on the same page? Okay. Our foundational passage this morning, we've finally gotten to it. Um, it is Romans 12, verse 1 and 2. I have it in the slides if anybody wants to run slides, but you don't have to. Romans chapter 1, verse 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God... To present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. And do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but instead be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what the will of God is, what is good and acceptable and perfect. You see, in, in chapter 12 of the book of Romans, Paul is transitioning his line of thought into describing what the transformed life in Christ looked like. He, he's taken this Roman, th this letter that he's written to the believers in Rome, and in chapters 1 through 4, he's already laid this out for his readers. They're already familiar with the fact that they faced a grim reality in their sin that the wages of their sin was death, that they had all fallen short of the glory of God, that the wrath of God and the condemnation of God was theirs if they would die not found in Christ Jesus. They, he, he laid out in, in, in chapter 4 that it was only justification by grace through faith alone that you might be saved. They knew that they could no longer just try to do the works of the law and keep Torah and just, and just be better than the guy next to them, right? That they could only come to saving faith in Christ through grace, by faith. And having dealt with righteousness, Paul would move into chapters 5 through 8 where he deals with all the freedoms that we get when we come to Christ. We get freedom from wrath in chapter 5. We get freedom from sin in chapter 6. Freedom from the law in chapter 7. And freedom from death in chapter 8. And in chapters 9 through 11, he would lay out the inclusive nature of this salvation, that it was for not only the Jew, but for also the Greek. 
And, and, and so it's important that we understand that, that line of thought, right? This letter was, was read aloud to the Romans in a single sitting. They, they were sitting there listening to a letter. And so these, these believers and non-believers alike just heard all of that leading up to this, right? God's wrath dealt with in Jesus Christ. Your sin dealt with in Jesus Christ. Bondage to religion and works of the law dealt with in Jesus Christ. Fear of death dealt with in Jesus Christ. This has all been dealt with for those who are in Christ Jesus. Therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, I appeal to you to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Based on the mercies of the God who has dealt with wrath and law and sin and death, based on those mercies, I appeal to you, live, Paul says. He says, don't present your bodies as a sacrifice. He says, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. He is calling us to live in the reality of the freedoms that we just talked about in chapters 5 through 8. He's saying live. We talked about this in our Tuesday night Bible study. A living sacrifice that's crawling up on the altar and staying there. When the fire is burning, we stay on the altar. We present our bodies as a living sacrifice. And if we stay up there long enough, he will begin to purify us. And we will be tested like gold, like pure gold, God's word says. And if we stay up there longer, what will that fire do to us? It will consume us. And we need to be a body who are people who are consumed by the fire of God. Because Isaiah 61 shows us that we serve a God who takes ashes and turns them into something beautiful. He's asking us to die to ourselves so that we might live. Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. Therefore, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives through me. So Paul says in this verse, so live, but live sacrificially. Live sacrificially proportional to the gift of sacrifice that you received in Jesus Christ. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Now, continue to study God's Word so that, you, so that you'll know what's, what's holy and acceptable, right? John 4.23 says this, But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers, do you want to be the true worshipers? When the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. Now, lay that against what Paul is saying here in Romans. Paul is saying, do you want to know that he says, this is your spiritual act, act of worship. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, for this is your spiritual act of worship. So, so, so what is he saying based on that uh, verse in John 4 as well? He's saying, your true spiritual act of worship is how you live your life. Jesus Christ himself said, look, you, you worship me with your lips, but your hearts are far from me. May we never be a people that the Lord says that 
about us. May our lives align with the truth of the gospel. May our lives align with the fact that we have the spirit of truth dwelling inside of us and driving our thoughts and our minds and our actions. Verse 2, he continues, Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And this will kind of be our launching off point this morning. He says, do not live like the world. Do not acclimate to the culture that you see in Rome. And do not acclimate to the culture that you see in Bernie. Do not acclimate to the culture that you see in the United States. He's saying, don't, be, don't look like this world. Don't be conformed to this world. Back in Romans chapter 8, he had already told them, you have been predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. You've, you've, been, you've been chosen. You've been justified. You've been sanctified. You've been glorified. And you're predestined. I am going to make you look like my son. The question that we're asking this morning is, is that going to take your whole life? Or can he accelerate that supernaturally? Can he call you into elite service for the kingdom in this very instant? And the final part, yes, come on. And the final part of this verse says, look, don't think like this world. Transformation is found in the renewal of the mind. As we seek a renewed mind this morning, first we must elevate our view of God. Seeing God rightly is the first step to a renewed mind. Isaiah 55 verses 8 and 9 says this, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than yours, and my thoughts than your thoughts. This verse is a great reminder of the sovereignty of God. The greatness of God, the excellency of God, the supremacy of God. It reminds us that he is the potter and we are the clay. It reminds us that he is the creator and we are the created. It reminds us that his plans are perfect. It reminds us that his paths lead ultimately to our good. It reminds us that even when we don't understand our circumstances, we can lean on His unlimited understanding. Amen? This verse is a declaration of the infinite grandeur of God and the finite understanding of man. This verse is not, however, telling us to resign ourselves to some inability to know God, to understand God. Right? Where, where, where he's just God and I'm just man and I can't do anything, so I've resigned myself to just living my life how I want to live it. I, I can't ever attain to the place that I need to to be ready to jump out of that airplane. So I'm just content. He, he, he's, so, he's so way up here and I'm so way down here. That's not what this verse is saying. So rather than being resigned to a limited understanding of God, we should be resolved to progressively knowing him in a deeper way and progressively knowing him in a higher way. As we elevate our thoughts of God, he increases our capacity to know him. 
A.W. Tozer is famous for his thought-provoking quote uh, that he has in in his book, The Knowledge of the Holy. He says, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. That's a thought-provoking statement, right? What he's saying is that how we view God is of utmost importance because everything will flow from that. If, as a follower of Christ, we have a high view of God, if we view him as omnipotent and omniscient and omnipresent and all-loving and all-knowing and perfectly righteous and perfectly just and perfectly perfect then how we respond to him and lay down our lives and respond in obedience to his commands, all of that will flow from that. But if we have a low view of God, if we have a diminished view of God, where we allow our own personal doubts and fears and insecurities to creep in, and we allow that to redefine who we think God is. God is immutable. God doesn't change. Our perception of him is what we allow to get distorted and changed in our mind. So so these thoughts and these insecurities creep in, and then it makes us vulnerable. It makes us apt to be lenient towards sin. It, it, It makes us apt to be lazy in our calling to God. So, so. Uh, While Tozer said that the most important thing about us is how we think of God, uh, C.S. Lewis, who maybe some of us know more than A.W. Tozer, uh, said in his book, The Weight of Glory, he said this. He said uh, something very opposite. He said, I read in a periodical the other day that the fundamental thing is how we think of God. We just heard Tozer say. By God himself it is not, Lewis says. How God thinks of us is not only uh, uh, how God thinks of us is not only more important, but infinitely more important. Indeed, how we think of Him is of no importance except insofar as it relates to how He thinks of us. So Tozer says, "No, the, the 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 greatest thing you can think is what you think about God." C.S. Lewis says, "Nope, the greatest thing you can think is what God thinks about you." And I believe that God is inviting us to think about this in a whole new way this morning. A better way, a more beautiful way. That that maybe both of these statements miss the fullness of the beauty of God's design for us. See, as believers, we should live and move and have our being with the highest view of God that our finite minds could ever attain to. Amen? But as a believer... Clothed in the righteousness of Christ. When God thinks about you, when God looks at you, He has a much higher view of you than you think He does. He has a much higher view than the view you have of yourself. You are His beloved, you are His inheritance, you are His possession. You have been bought with the price of the blood of his only begotten son. You are worth it. See, when we we have a higher view of God and we have a higher understanding of his plan of redemption and restoration and his love for us, it actually brings us up there. It actually brings us up to where we can be seated with him in the heavenlies, where we can begin to walk in spiritual authority and spiritual discernment. But, but if we self-deprecate constantly, 
if we, if we disqualify ourselves all the time through the thoughts that, that hold us captive in our minds, we won't get anything done for the kingdom of God. A high view of God results in a higher view of ourselves. Here's what the Bible says that you are in Christ. If you've got self-doubts, if you think you're not worthy, if you think you could never be a, a paratrooper, if you think you could never be an elite soldier on the battlefield for the kingdom of God, which is what you are called to do, here is what the Bible says about you. 1 Corinthians 2, verses 14 through 16. This is what the Bible says about those who have the Spirit of God living inside of them. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual man judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. And here we get to verse 16. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? And then Paul says, but we have the mind of Christ. My flesh doesn't even like that sentence. My flesh objects with that sentence wholly and completely, throws it right out. There's no way I have the mind of Christ. Y'all didn't know what was going on up in here this week trying to prepare for this message. But I don't think it was the mind of Christ. See, I had slipped into the mind of my flesh. I had let the, uh, I had put the spirit man in the back seat, I'd put the spirit man on the shelf and I was operating out of the flesh of my own mind. This cannot be so. We have the mind of Christ. We have the capacity to think and discern in the spirit rather than the flesh. We said it before. We'll say it again. What if we stopped trying to become what the gospel says that we already are. Romans 8, verses 14 through 17. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God and daughters of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons and daughters, by whom we cry, Abba, Father, the Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if we're children, then we're heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified in Him. He says that we're sons. You don't have to try to be a son. You don't have to try to be a daughter. You don't have to qualify to be a daughter. Molly is my daughter because she was conceived and born out of the union of myself and my wife. And we love her simply because she's my flesh. She's my blood. She's got my DNA inside of her. She's marked forever by the, by the love union that God brought together in one man and one woman. And she's my daughter because of that. There's nothing she can do to be more my daughter. There's nothing she can do less to be less of my daughter. She is my daughter, and I love her fully as my daughter. And God says the same thing about you. But we don't believe him half the time. And we let the lies of the enemy creep in. Sorry. 
I love you, Molly. I also love you, Hattie, wherever you are. John 14, 18 through 20 says this, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. In a little while, the, uh, this, is, this is Jesus speaking, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. In a little while, the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. This is union with God through Christ. This is no small thing. This is a huge promise found in God's Word for us this morning. Not only do we have the mind of Christ that we can spiritually discern, not only are we sons and daughters, we are family, we are chosen, we are heirs, we will rule and reign with Him. Not only that, but we are unified with Christ as the Father and the Son are one. He has invited us into the love of the Trinity. We have union with God through Christ. So He can swoop into our lives at any moment and change everything. He can meet us in our beds with our heads on our pillow and come and flood our minds with, with a message of such love and grace and beauty that it, that it flushes out all of the lies of the enemy that have built up over the years. You see, God sees a greater capacity in you than you see in yourself. He sees a greater potential in you than you see in yourself. All of us, whether we have consciously thought about it or not, listen to this. We, we, we have a, a self-imposed limit. We, we have a perception of, of the ceiling in our lives. The, 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 the limiting factor, the, the ceiling that we can't, we can't break through, that we can't go above. God's not going to use me beyond this ceiling. And we've got to remove that from, we've got to remove that thinking from our minds. I, 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 want you to, I want you to think about this. I want you to go home today. After your, well, it's not going to be a Chick-fil-A lunch. They're closed on Sundays. I want you to go home after you eat something lesser than Chick-fil-A. And I want, you to, I want you to get a piece of paper and a pen. And, and I want you to write out the rest of your story. What does the rest of LaDonna's story look like? What does the rest of Anna Massey's story look like? What does the rest of Kevin's story look like? What does the, the rest of Jeremiah's story look like? Based on your view of God right now, and based on your view of yourself right now, what's the trajectory that you're on? What's the limit? What's the ceiling? It's all self-imposed. It's all self-imposed. It's all made up by us. It's all us believing lies of the enemies. And God desires to set us free from that mindset this morning. I want, you to, I want you to do that exercise. And then I want you to crumple that piece of paper up. And I want you to get alone with God. And I want you to just begin dreaming with Him. 
I want your, your imaginations to run wild with him and say, if I stopped believing these lies about myself, if I just started believing what you already said about me and started walking in the authority and the power that comes with that identity in Christ, then what can we do together? Then what are you calling me to? Then what are you calling me to put off and leave behind? Crumple up the former plans. They're not high enough. They're not big enough. They don't make a big enough eternal impact. I can promise you, mine don't and yours don't. And what if we did that as a body? Ooh, come on. You see this, this Romans 12, verse 1 and 2. Um, Therefore, I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable. This is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. See, our flesh wants to take a verse like this and distort it. Religion wants to take a verse like this and distort it. Uh, until this verse sounds something more like this. Listen. Over the next 60 years, in the midst of building my own kingdom and my own life, if I read enough Christian books, if I have my devotional time, if I go to church, I will become someone that incrementally looks more like Jesus and will die as a sweet old saint who looks just like Jesus. This is one of the ultimate tricks of the enemy. The lie is, listen to this, spend your life trying to become like Christ. Whoa, 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 whoa. You're telling me that's a lie? Spend your life trying to become like Christ. Well, what's the tactic of the enemy when he uses uh, Scripture? He uses 90% truth and about 10% lie, right? Uh, yes, in a vacuum, should we spend the rest of our lives trying to become like Christ? Yes. I don't want to be thrown out into the streets as a heretic, right? Um, but here is how many of us apply that truth. Little by little, year after year, Nugget after nugget from Sunday after Sunday. I'll tack on a little more Christ. I'll leave a little bit more of my old self behind. I'll put off a little bit more of the old man. And we've said it before. The problem with that method is that when you finally look like him and are ready to go out and be the hands and feet of Jesus, you have very little time left. This is not for us, Fireworks Church. We are a last day's church. There is no time left. Regardless of your age, there is no time left. Whether you have 10 years left or 60 years left, there is not enough time to sit in the pews and soak and sour. We've got to be a church that lives. We've got to be a church that lives a, a, a sacrificial life on the altar We've got to be a people who believe what the gospel says about us. And if, if, if you're in this room and you don't know Jesus Christ, everything we've been talking about this morning is for the believer. So if you're not in Jesus Christ, I want you to hear this. Everything we've been talking about this morning awaits you in Jesus Christ. If you've been plagued with the thoughts in your mind and the lies of the enemy, 
if you feel like you've been a captive in your own mind, come to Jesus Christ. Come to Jesus Christ. There is hope for a renewed mind in Jesus Christ. He desires to set people who are captive in their mind free this morning. And if you are a follower of Christ and you've been plagued in your mind, bring your mind to the altar this morning. I want to ask Brent to come back up. Uh, Brent and the worship team, y'all come back up. The Lord is not allowing me to um, prepare a message on a Sunday and give it and be done with it. Um, He's just not allowing it. Everything that, that he brings to my heart and to my mind for this body, it's to deliver the word and allow him to activate that word. This word does no good if it just falls on deaf ears. But y'all, the soil of your hearts is ready for this word. Amen? So I want us to activate this morning. I want us to respond. I want us to um, sing, let my life be worship again. Now, we sang it earlier, and you might have just sung it. I want you to sing it again in light of God's word that we just heard. In light of the fact that you have the mind of Christ. That you are a son and a daughter of Christ. That you've been given everything you need for life and godliness in Christ. That he has bigger plans for you than you can ever imagine. Whether you're 15 or 50, whether you're 8 or 80, God wants to take this group of people and transform them by renewing their minds in this hour, in this moment. And so we're going to have the prayer team up here. And if you need prayer, by all means, we want to pray with you. If you've got stuff going on in your life that, that we don't know about, that, that, that is causing you just a war and rage in your mind, we want to join you in prayer about that. We want, you, we want you a, place, a safe place for you to, to, to lay that onto the shoulders of somebody else, that we can carry that with you and lay it at the foot of the cross together. So if, you, if you're in a tough season of life, if you're struggling with mental health issues, we don't want to make light of that. We want you to bring them to God. We want you to bring them to the foot of the cross. We want you to bring them to the throne of God where you will find mercy and help in your time of need. So we'll have people up here ready to pray for you in that. But if you don't need to come up, just stand. Just stand and worship Him. And make Him a promise this morning that from this point forward, with a renewed mind, you will let your life be worship. Let's pray. Dear Father God, oh man, we're blown away by your word this morning. We're blown away by your love for us. Lord, forgive us where we have diminished our view of you. You are supreme being your a loving creator God who invaded time and history to send 
His Son to die on a cross for our sins. Lord, we are eternally grateful. And Lord, all we do this morning is recognize your goodness and your greatness and say that we lay our lives down in response to that gift that we've been given. But Lord, tradition and religion and our upbringing and the busyness of life and the the inundation of media and the the voluntary consumption of media, Lord, it it has built up a, a, a pressure and attention in our minds to where uh, we're beside ourselves, Lord, where there's anxiety and depression that, that, that creeps up and sneaks into our life. And so, Lord, we just collectively and honestly assess our thought life this morning. And we say as a body, Lord, I give you my thoughts. I give you my assumptions, my perceptions my views, my entire mind. I lay down every tradition that causes me to think a certain way. I lay down every hurt and wound that informs my thinking. I lay down the fear of the opinion of man that drives my decision-making. I lay down anything that shifts my focus from your love and places it anywhere else. God, have our minds this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. If you need prayer, come forward. Otherwise, let's stand and let's worship our Father before we're dismissed.